Alex, what in the world is happening with TikTok? It sounds like uh, a total mess. It's a proxy war on China for Trump to show strength on American companies and American values, you know? One of the, one of the fixes is to just embed um, Apple Pay into your mobile website. When you drink those specific Northwest beers, bad things happen. Do we think that uh, legacy brands have coped well with a shift to online? What messaging would make me change my current you know, problem with travel? And this kind of like outdoor dining, uh, day and night, it's sort of like become a thing that everyone just loves. Well, I'm glad to uh, change up the format of this podcast a little bit, and uh, this time around to experiment with a little bit more of an informal conversation, um, and who better to bring into an informal conversation on a podcast like this than someone who I usually have these informal conversations with, and uh, that is Alex McNamara, um, a good friend of mine, someone who I've met through uh, working in the industry. Um, I'm not going to introduce him, he can do it himself, uh, but Alex is currently residing in Portland and um, we'll have a little bit of different experience to share than what I see here in LA. Alex? Hey, Gosha, thanks for having me here. Um, so yeah, um, you know, as you know, I've been in advertising for what, 10 years now um, across both the media side and the creative side uh, from London, San Francisco and LA. So you know, I've been really enjoying understanding how creative and media work together and how each of the different um, sort of industries dislike each other and don't value each other's uh, <laughs> um, work. Um, but, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed learning about the US versus the UK approach to things and, and how we as customers get influenced by, um, by our decision-making. Yeah. Um, well, you say that uh, different parts of the advertising industry don't like each other. That's that's novel. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought, right? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Um, so the way the way that we thought we'd structure this and kind of experiment with this new format is um, take a few topics uh, one at a time um, that we came up ahead of this podcast and um, just kind of have a conversation around them. We'll try to keep each to about five minutes, uh, move through them, and hope we have some interesting thoughts to um, to share and debate. And would love to hear. Um, your comments and your feedback um, as well. So uh, we'll do this in no particular order, but we can start with one that you proposed, Alex, which is um, shopping through Instagram and the f opportunities and frustrations that arise with this. Do you want to expand on this? Yeah, this, this, was, this was one that I experienced um, very recently. And it, I find it quite interesting because um, Instagram have in shopping ads, you know, the carousel that you go through, which they you know retarget you with stuff that you've seen online so i would i bought some stuff from under armor um i got hit up with a bunch of you know new stuff that i was looking for because obviously uh during the pandemic got to work out because when you drink those specific northwest beers bad things happen <laughs> i mean they're good, good things also happen but yes 
yes, good things happen. And then, and then I get round. So, um, <laughs> so I was like, you know, I need some more workout clothes and they served me some, some of the, the products that I've been looking at. I was like, you know what? Sure. I'll give them the click. I'll give them the you know, dwell time. I'll give them the conversion. You know, I'll, I'll help someone out. I understand this from the media side, go in there, load up my basket. There's like a hundred bucks worth of, you know, shorts and t-shirts. Um, that's pretty good. Then you know, as I, as you know, you've got to spend the money to, to get lean. Uh, that's how it works. <laughs> but then, um, so I'm like, right. Apple have trained me that when I'm in a shopping experience, I can rely on them to give me my credit card information. So go through shipping address, um, billing address, credit card information. And I click the little, the, the, the field and nothing happens. And, you know, in previous times, a non-lazy person would have got up, gone to their wallet, taken it out. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that right now. I'm perfectly comfortable on the sofa watching TV. And I just want to do this and just forget about it. So I try and load it up in Safari through the little, the little widget at the bottom. Go through into Safari and all of my uh, shopping cart is gone. So then deep link me into it and port over my information. So I had to start again. And at that point, I was like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Now it's like a week ago and I still haven't completed that checkout. So kind of like my frustrations were you get, you get all of this personalization. You get all of this like work done to take you through. And Facebook and Apple don't talk. And they, they basically lose out on the sale. So, you know, that was kind of my experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Apple aren't sharing my information with Facebook because I already give them the rest of it. So that, that's a good thing. But if you're, if you're Instagram and you're pushing these on, you know, advertisers to get these conversions, like in-app conversions, and then you're not allowing them to follow up with the actual ability to convert, you know, you're, you know it's, it's a broken process. So that, that was my experience, which I found really frustrating. Yeah, you know, I, I actually I actually agree with you. Um, I know whenever I see something interesting on Instagram that I want to consider buying potentially, even before I start uh, down that process, I'll force open the Safari browser because I know that ultimately the experience is going to be better from there. And also the other thing is if you have to put your phone away for a little bit to attend to something else, like good luck um, resuming that session in the fake browser that is built into Instagram, right? So it's like really meant for same session, super short time span. You're like within the fetching vicinity of your wallet. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's weird. You know, you would think that, and I mean, Instagram maybe is the, is the example that most people use, but there are others, right? Like you could be doing some ordering through Yelp or you could be doing some other things uh, from, from other apps. You would think that there's some backend data Fastback options that are built if you're using some common Apple tech. Um, I don't know how this looks on Google, by the way, on Android, if this process is easier, but it's needlessly complicated by this. And it's frustrating. Yeah. I think I think you, you you brought up two really good things. Like one is the the you, you put your phone away, like someone talks to you, you put your phone away because you're polite, or you your your kettle's boiling, gonna make your tea. Um, that's not a stereotype, by the way. That was just that's my experience. Um, so so you try and go back into it and that thing is gone. You can't find the ad again because they're not going to serve it to you again. So like you don't even have the sort of the first points to go through. But then you, but the other thing you bring up, which is interesting is you get shown the ad 
and then you interact with it, you, you swipe through the carousel, then you switch to Safari and you go in there and you try and, you know, you go and complete, let's say you complete the purchase because you found the items that you want and you know this is a surefire way that you, you're gonna be able to get your credit card information and complete it in one session. How do you get that um, conversion data? Like you're gonna lose out on that um, you know, impression to sale because I don't think you're able to take that from, you can guess like maybe through IP and maybe device IDs, but you're not, you, it's gonna be an organic sale and you don't get that impression. So that's another thing uh, you, you mentioned. I, I, I guess maybe like one of, the, one of the fixes is to just embed um, Apple Pay into your mobile website so that um, it gets triggered um, and people will be able to populate that information without going to their wallet. You know, if you have an iPhone, chances are you use Apple Pay um, and there's others like there's PayPal and Amazon Pay. So just have those but buttons. If, if you're a Shopify site, um, those are fairly yeah. easy to add. Yeah, think about it from a consumer standpoint. If you're running paid ads on Instagram, this is potentially one of those huge drop-off areas and you definitely don't want to give any more reasons for a customer who loaded up their basket with $100 worth of Under Armour goodies yeah. to, um, to then say like, screw it, go back to the fridge and continue getting round. I mean, that, I mean that's, that's such a great point. Like having, and, I, and I've noticed this recently, having the Apple Pay buttons, like they have the PayPal, PayPal buttons. Um, and like, that's just such a better way um, because you know you trust Apple, you know that your credit card information is there, you know you're able to do that securely um, without having to share your information elsewhere. That's such a great idea. I think we've just solved it. Well, we have, uh, we have one solution already coming out of this show, so that's, uh, that's impressive. Let's see if we can, sticking on the theme of social media, um, I don't know if we're going to solve the next one, but it's at least worth a good banter. Alex, what in the world is happening with TikTok? Uh, I, can, you, can you summarize I, for, us, for us what's been going on? Can I? Uh, <laughs> yes, we may need more time. Um, but yeah, right now, TikTok is both the most popular, like most popular social media explosion um, recently, and at the same time, massively uh, targeted by the administration. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. ByteDance bought Musical.ly two years ago for several billion dollars, um, to break into the U S market. Cause they were having, um, really, they, you know, they were huge in Asia, literally no one had heard of TikTok and now you cannot get away from TikToks. So, you know, they bought Musical.ly, rebranded that, um, huge explosion especially during coronavirus times when everyone is at home doing the tiktok dances making you know funny short films like they did on vine rip and you know suddenly now trump gets involved and it's uh, and and there's concerns you know at the highest level of government about data being collected on us citizens and being sent to the chinese government uh I guess that's a summary. I guess it's a summary of, of where we're at right now. And on top of that, the CEO who came from Disney Plus as the executive um, of CEO of TikTok and COO of ByteDance resigned after four months on the job. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a total mess. 
Um, and yes. it has to be decided by mid-September. Additionally, I've seen that China just threw another wrench into the whole process by saying that um, they could limit, uh, they could impose restrictions on the experts, exports of code around artificial intelligence for Chinese companies, which is not meant to necessarily be, uh, it's not aimed at ByteDance specifically, it's, uh, it might be aimed at Huawei, uh, another Chinese company in the crosshairs of this administration, but it could affect the sale of ByteDance. Um, selling TikTok to a Microsoft or Oracle or Walmart or Triller, which is a small competitor who um, is now putting in a bid as well. So it's, it's really interesting. I think that um, this sort of exposes, um, I think in a very raw way, uh, the power that social media has over us these days, that it's the highest levels of the government who are involved in this. And it seems like it's a proxy war, essentially, between the two states for declaring, you know, which, which social network uh, should have the access to its population's data. Now, the argument that we would make is that don't sell it to TikTok, or don't sell your data to TikTok or give it away, give it away to Facebook. It's not like Facebook has been uh, <laughs> spotless in how they treat the data that's being given to them, right? No way, no way. I mean, like, yeah, it's like, who do you give your data to, and where does that where does that data go? But does the does the data even go back to China? Um, and you know, everyone everyone touts the Chinese um, government rules around all data is accessible to Chinese government. Um, but if you know, and I, I'm not an expert here. I'm definitely no expert on IP and and the legality around this, but from what I've heard, you've got the servers in Virginia and Singapore, uh, which are outside of Chinese jurisdiction. Is this, is this an actual legitimate concern? You'd have to think so potentially if the government's getting involved, or is it like you said, you know, it's a proxy war on China for Trump to show strength on American companies and American values. You know, don't give your data to TikTok to sell, give it to Facebook to sell instead. Yeah, I think I, I think what's also interesting here is sort of like the two sidelines um, that are being observed concurrently. One is uh, Facebook or Instagram launches Reels, which is yeah. um, basically a copycat of TikTok, crudely embedded into one of the tabs or one of the pages or whatever you call it within the Instagram app. I don't I don't even know. Like reading the comments about this um, this launch, I think mostly it's been it's being seen as a, a laughable attempt to copy what TikTok is doing because there's not that ecosystem uh, that yeah. exists. That's one side. On the other side is uh, Snapchat, which has been around for way longer and wishes it was enjoying the kind of popularity and growth, I guess, that TikTok has been seeing. Um, how do they grow? Like, what, 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 what trick did they miss to, um, to not scale? Yeah, I mean, I, I the the copycatting of Facebook slash Instagram on their competitors. You know, when Instagram launched Stories as you know, basically taking Snapchat and putting it into into the Instagram ecosystem, it it was weird and jarring at first, but it it actually made sense when you looked at the overall Instagram. Uh, user experience because you had very curated posts or what was getting to be very curated posts posting, you know, once 
once a day, once every two days, you didn't want to flood people with, with it, but you also needed that expression of like, um, you know, raw, here's me right now. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to post, you know, 10 videos a day, 10 pictures a day, but you don't have to look at them all in, in your feed. And like that made sense. And, and I just don't see how reels fits in with that ecosystem because it's basically like stories. Um, but they're really just trying to take that in, uh, that TikTok audience and, and put them into Instagram. And what I've seen is extremely laughable is that everyone is just making their TikTok videos on TikTok and then just like uploading it as a video to Reels because you can still see the TikTok yeah. usernames. So it's not, I don't know if it's working that well. And I'm, you know, I'll admit when I'm wrong and we'll see, but I, I just can't see how this is going to get adopted because of the way that it's buried in there. And there's no real estate within the app to make this more prominent without reducing one of their other, you know, high, high impact, um, you know, high impact uh, things. I mean, maybe they, maybe because Zuck, Zuck's been closing up to Trump for a while, <laughs> controversial, Yeah. but uh, he knows something we didn't until recently and that maybe he's banking on TikTok getting shut down. And um, Reels is the only other format that sort of is there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, unless they, what? Hold on, hold on. One second, one second. Unless they, <laughs> unless they launch something else, then they make it a spin out of uh, Reels becomes its own separate app. But then to your other point about Snapchat, yeah. that format, um, that's really like a one to one um experience and you have to the way that they've set up and you follow certain people or you follow celebrities in the instagram style it's not great for discoverability other than your discover tab which is highly curated um what i think everyone loves about instagram is it's very like it's very easy to get lost in it and, and it's designed for you to just keep scrolling up to see great videos and they've got really great content on there whereas snapchat is has been overtaken by brands to produce almost like mini TV series, mm-hmm. like kind of like Quibi style, like vertical quick thing videos. Um, Quibi we can talk about next time. Um, but oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why Snapchat hasn't been able to, to adopt that kind of um, uh, discoverability because you can watch people from all over the world really easily rather than having to like search and really discover it, discover it. Yeah. I, um, I think what you mentioned, what you said about Reels potentially being spun out into its own app, I, it, the format almost, almost begs for it. Um, and I think even the name, it's like such a, it, it, it feels like they're testing it right now, maybe getting a, a base of creators uh, to commit to Reels. But I see this, I cannot see this being permanently embedded into Instagram, uh, into the core app. Uh, it's it just, it, there's just like way too much at this point going on. I think it's the big, biggest criticism. Um, all right, keeping the pace, moving on. Um, we are still circling this whole idea of like online use. We started with shopping, so we're seeing a huge boost in online retail. Um, do you think, all right, so here's the question, I guess. Do we think that, uh, legacy brands have coped well with a shift to online? We know that, um, DTC brands mostly have done pretty well out of it. Uh, that seems to be the, the theme. 
do you, do do you think that the legacy of brands, and I'm talking about like the Heinzes of the world, who famously started um, spun up a Shopify store during the pandemic, and like the Levi's and et cetera, et cetera. Do you think do you think that they have adapted well? Um, do you think they have to continue to work on it? I I think some have and and some haven't. I think the ones that had invested in um, digital transformation. Um, in order to bring an online element or at least an online store um, have done okay. Um, you know, there's been a there's the, the huge boost in online um, shopping, which given the pandemic and the uncertainty around so many jobs and so many um, companies was quite surprising, I think. Um, and like you said, D to C brands who had built their whole you know, companies on going direct to consumers have done a, a great job. Um, I, I think anyone who was relying on in-store sales or through like resellers or retailers um, have have struggled. I think anyone who wasn't prepared to wasn't prepared to um, like start out or at least have that functionality and that logistics chain behind them before. Has has suffered a lot and will be and will have been directly impacted because they would have taken months to set up a logistics um, to go online sales, inventory tracking, shipping, and all of that. Yeah, it's. Um, I think logistics is a very underrated part of setting up a successful e-commerce. And if you're if you're a small brand just starting out, you could probably get around uh, this by handling the initial things yourself. Um, and use, utilize services um, from UPS, FedEx, whatever. But if you if you deal with volume at any scale, um, basically there are just two options. There's the logistics you own, which is your own warehouse, your own people, your own sort of distribution. And then there's the third-party logistics, which is when you outsource this to other companies. And I think the the companies that have underinvested in online have chosen to go with what's called 3PL, third-party logistics uh, because they didn't want to have that writing as their overhead. What came out of this is that the minute COVID hit, those 3PL providers said, uh, we're going to control uh, how much you can ship out because we are stretched to the limits ourselves. And so all of a sudden you find yourself unable to do sales, unable to do promotions, unable to do anything to really expand your digital footprint because you're at the mercy of your fulfillment partner. And it's difficult to set up something you're on your own um, in the middle of the crisis. So yeah, like I think I think you're right. Uh, there is underinvestment in in the traditional sense, like oh, we've just not really set up e-commerce. Period. And there is the underinvestment in that yeah, we've set it up, but we really wanted to make it bare bones and an afterthought. Um, so it's it's been it's been interesting, and I and I, I've personally noticed some very um, frustrating use cases where uh, you could clearly see that behind the scenes of a brand that you've grown up to know and trust, there is a mess in the back. Um, you order something, um, confirmation emails arrive super late, shipping gets delayed three, four, five, six weeks. And then after a sixth week, they're like, oh, actually, we looked at our inventory and we don't have that product. Sorry that it was there. Um, I think a lot of brands underinvested in customer service uh, to handle those inquiries as well. And so any sort of follow-up gets met with a resounding silence. And uh, and you see as a result, uh, those companies really, I think, losing ground. Um, I um, I specifically am thinking about a 
couple of what they would call in the UK high street retailers, um, those who are whose stores are standing empty on in major malls and on the promenade here in Santa Monica, and you think, man, how are they coping with all of this if their online um, capabilities are so crap? But here we are. Speaking of which, yeah. um, I don't know if, if if that's been the case with you, but I've I've walked through the um, traditional shopping areas here in LA, and you see a shocking number of storefronts um, permanently um, shuttered, um, signs saying for lease, for rent, right? So like those stores have, um, I can't even remember what stores there were, to be honest. Yeah. There, there was such an oversaturation of retail prior to this. And you walk by and you're like, I don't miss any of this. Like, I, I know that they created jobs and uh, like that part, definitely I'm not knocking. But in terms of the offering itself, there's hardly anything that's gone out of business that I seem to miss. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. Actually, I bet because I'm out in the countryside in Oregon City, I barely go into downtown Portland. And because of everything else that's been going on there, everything is shuttered up pretty much. But, you know, even I don't remember the last time that I went to a shopping district or shopping area. Um, and I've done everything online. I've done all of my, you know, I've pretty much gone to an online only um, shopping experience where I'm just buying, you know, like I was talking about, you know, Under Armour shorts online. I'm not trying to you know, research and go buy that in store. Like I don't want to go in store unless I absolutely have to like the supermarket. And even then I'm trying to do, you know, buy online and they just pop it in the back of your car. So, you know, do you, do you think that all of those retailers that have struggled so far will continue to invest in a, D2C or an online sales model in order to future-proof themselves? Or do you think they're just going to struggle through it and then just be like, you know what, we're, we're out. This is way too much work. Let's go back to the traditional model and fingers crossed it doesn't happen again. No, I, d- I definitely don't think they're going to have the ability to go. Like Whether they want to or not, I don't think they'll have the ability to go back to the traditional model. I think their ability to invest into into robust e-commerce depends entirely on their um, position right now. You know, how much real estate do they hold? What's their cash position? These things are not cheap, especially for an established brand. But I think what is um, playing in their favor is that right now, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but you mentioned on Dharma, you know, their staples in my, um, in my kind of shopping habits um, that I, I have to continue to buy. Um, and I'm not going and like trying to discover new things. Like if I know that something from J. Crew or Banana Republic or Under Armour or Nike fits, like I'm not going to go and try to experiment with an alternative brand. Like it's, I, I don't like, yes, even if you are free shipping, free returns, I would rather order something that I've bought before. I know it fits, it'll arrive. I'll, I'll start using it immediately. That's where those brands I think have, um, have an advantage because consumers know them. They've likely bought something from them. And if they need to replenish on those basics, I guess, as you would call them, um, they are more likely to go to them um, if the experience is a good one. Yeah, actually, I, I was I was thinking about that um, as you were kind of describing your your you you buy the things that you know because you know that they fit because you don't have the opportunity to go in store and fit. You don't really want to buy it, spend the money, try and recoup it back through you know returns. I'm still waiting on Mr. Porter to return, re- refund my, you know, a purchase that I had six weeks ago. So mm. like, 
Hey, indeed. So, but what I did see, which I thought was really interesting to try and reduce that friction was a little widget on some websites, uh, Under Armour specifically, I remember this because I, I just used it today. Um, it sounds like an Under Armour app, it's not. Um, By the way, for, the, for those who can't see Alex, he's wearing an Under Armour <laughs> It's really comfortable. Uh, it's very breathable and I've been wearing it every day and I really enjoy it. Um, not an app. But um, what, what I did like was that they gave you an option to say, how tall are you? What do you weigh? What's your like build? Um, then they said, what's a, what's a brand that you own that you know fits? What does that fit? So like, it was like Levi's um, 32, 32, the 511s. And they were like, right, based on that, you can, you can personalize it with two or three other things. They go, based on that fit, you'll be this size in, mm-hmm. in ours. And I thought that was a really great way to be like, you know, am I a large or a medium in this? I don't know. How big, do you, how big is your large? Because there's no like universal real right. truth in large or medium. So I thought that was a great way to overcome that barrier of do I fit in this or not? Because I don't want to be able to like get it and be like, this is like way too baggy and it looks ridiculous or I can't even get into it. You no, know, if I wash it, it's definitely not going to fit. Um, so I thought that was a really good, a good way, you know, coupled with free shipping, free returns um, to like get you to, to purchase. It's almost like that. The Warby Parkers, you know, buy, buy it, get five free, five free try-ons and ship them back just to see, because glasses are so personalized. Like we had this discussion recently on a, on a final sale for glasses and you're like, I know what fits me. I know what my face is like. I know what likes my face. I'm not going to spend you know, even a hundred bucks to right. have uh, some frames that don't look good on me. Like it's, it's the same with clothes and trying to find ways to overcome that barrier. Uh, I think it's a hugely important, especially now when people are definitely not going to go out and try on things. And also stores don't let you try on things because they don't, they want to, they don't want to have that, um, you know, the, the sharing of anything. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, this behavior, um, it's good business for companies to do what you just described with like the whole Levi's example, because uh, here's a real life example from actually this weekend uh, when my wife uh, wanted to buy some items online from um, a brand that she's only bought from once and she wasn't sure what sizes to buy. So she bought two of everything and she's going to return half of what she buys, right? If that brand made it easier to be more certain about what size she should buy, it would definitely save itself some money on uh, return shipping and on the restocking. Um, yeah. Multiply that by all of the other people like my wife. And at the end of the day, like that, that investment pays for itself, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, I did that with, with the Mr. Porter sales because they have, um, they have, free shipping, free returns. So I was buying, you know, one or two of everything in different sizes. And I saw a jacket that I sent back, um, go on at a discounted, even more discount. So it was at 40%, then they restocked it at 70%. So I bought it again, sent back the other jacket that I had and like, and you know, it got shipped to me twice Yeah, and I paid even less for it. So like that kind of, and, and like the inventory lag you're going to have with that shipping back, you know, once it's, once it's on sale and if you return it after the sale, then you've got inventories, like the other issues that you have from taking multiples and then sending it back. 
So I think the 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 answer to the question of uh, brands and retailers succeeding is a complicated one, but making it easier for consumers, it's a age old dogma. Like you just have to, yeah. you just have to. Um, so we've covered, uh, we've covered shopping through Instagram. We covered the mess with TikTok. We talked about brands um, and we talked kind of specifically, I think more about apparel and kind of accessories. Um, what about travel? I mean, no one's traveling. I mean, people are traveling uh, right. to their to their bathrooms uh, more often, I guess. But like, no one's really traveling. So, I am seeing um, travel advertising returning a little bit, starting to pick up. Uh, it's actually been really fascinating to see what sort of messaging is being put out currently, and uh, a lot of it, I think, is from the wish list of customers from like 2019 and 2018, and uh, and and now it's actually coming to life. But um, a lot of it is like when you're ready, so we'll, so we're there for you. Um, like safety is being prioritized, like with hotel chains and airlines. Uh, just yesterday, uh, United uh, basically took the whole idea of uh, unlimited changes to tickets and travel that was introduced during the pandemic and supposedly made it a permanent change for domestic flights in perpetuity. American and Delta followed suit. Um, so my question to you, Alex, like what messaging will it make, will make it more likely for you to travel? Um, do you think it'll be price-led, safety-led, inspirational? Like what is going to get you out of Oregon City onto a plane, into a hotel room? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really interesting one and not like not something I thought of in that way. Like, um, like what messaging would make me change my current, you know, problem with travel uh, and you know i think there's like there's like two things here one is the global or at least in the u.s led response in that it is now safe to do these things because of a vaccine or we understand the virus more or or you know something else i think for me to feel comfortable going onto a flight I'm not entirely sure that it is it is a message, a brand messaging thing, or a, a a specific spin that they can put on for me to to want to travel. I think it for me personally, it's going to be a we have a vaccine, we understand the virus, we know that if you do this, it's you know we know more about it. It's going to be more of a knowledge base. So maybe if the if the uh, airlines, I think it's specifically airlines because. You're, you know, even with any, with all of their you know, UV um, uh, UV uh, sanitation, sanitation. Yeah. yeah, and then and so they refresh the air every ninety seconds. Even with that, you know, and you're taking out the middle seat of every row. You're still no more than like four feet from someone, and all it takes is one person who sat in the row in front or two rows in front or behind to to get that. Like the, it's you can't change the air that quickly. It's like that for me is is a concern. Um, hotel wise, I'm way more comfortable with like a deep cleaning message, a you know hands hands free check in, no person check in, you know app only check in, those kinds of things because you're you're very much isolated from everyone else. If you can do, um, especially with like the uh, let's say the a store the uh, the world of Astoria in La Quinta in Palm Desert, where you have those like outside houses rather than a hotel block. So like those for me are gonna be things that that will make me. What definitely won't is when a hotel chain sends me an email that says, you know, 
stay with us three nights, get fourth night free. I'm like, you're very ambitious with how many nights you think I'm willing to stay at a hotel right now. Yeah, I'm thinking zero nights and you're already starting <laughs> yeah. to sell me a fourth free night. Yeah, exactly. Like you, like I maybe stay one night, get one night free. I might consider it like three nights and you really think I'm spending three nights somewhere? I don't know. I think you're being very ambitious with the, uh, with the amount of nights I'm, I'm spending right now. So yeah, that's like, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I, even with Alaska and, and um, Southwest sending me ludicrous deals of like $39 to fly somewhere, um, you know, we've got all of this safety. Like, I don't know. I, I, what I do know is I don't want to pay 600 bucks to fly to New York anymore. And that's what I do know. Yeah. I mean, it'll see, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long it'll take for pricing to catch up. There's a fascinating, there's a ch- an interesting channel called Wendover on YouTube and they, um, they just kind of talk about like the, the logistics of the world. And, uh, the most recent thing is the airline pricing during the pandemic and how they basically had to switch the computers and the algorithms off because all, all, all of that is not working as, as intended anymore. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm with you. I mean, I in June, we took a trip and we stayed in a few hotels and I definitely felt like I was one of the first people that I knew to venture out of the bubble to go and do this and to, and to check this out. And it's definitely not pleasant anymore to travel. You know, a lot of the effort in the last decade, I think, has been around experiences, not necessarily the the room itself, but the lobby and the music, if you're talking about hotels and the cuisine. And like that's just been stripped away. And you're like, if you're going to get a meal um, in a hotel and the experience, even within the same chain, um, tends to vary greatly. We stayed in, in a couple of different Hilton properties. And in one, you had a full-on breakfast served to you in a box. And in the other one, they removed all the breakfast entirely. So yeah. how, how do you, how do you, like, what are your expectations? Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not pleasant. Um, and I think you really either you're, you're traveling because you have to family reasons or work reasons for mm-hmm. some people, um, or, you know, the property. And I think maybe when, if we were talking about messaging, I want to hear from hotels, what I can expect, not just in terms of safety, but like, what are you going to give me? Uh, that is going to make my stay special because the last thing I want to experience is a bare bones version of what you used to be. Like that's not a relaxing trip for me. Like I'd rather stay home. Yeah. Traveling now is, is stressful and and you're not traveling to stay in, in rooms. You're not going to the Hilton to for that room specifically. You're going there because you, you're you're loyal customer. It's a good deal. It's a good location and wherever you want to go. So with everything being closed, partially closed, limited seating only, some attractions open in places, like you're not traveling and spending the night sleeping in a a room. You're traveling and spending the majority of your time in a room because you can't really do anything else. So you're trying to find locations where there are hotel things available that you can do. Like we had an experience like that recently where we booked a night in Bingen at a small like boutique hotel. And the morning that we booked it, the the spa pool area was open. Where the next day when we checked again, it was closed. So like, and, th- and they didn't tell us, we just got an email from them that said, 
uh, actually now the spa is closed and and they didn't change the price they didn't offer us anything they didn't change anything it was like oh so you just took away one of the reasons we were going and have not given me anything to replace it and i right. It, it was a nice, I, I loved it. I will definitely go back to experience what it is we couldn't, but it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Like, you know, it wasn't cheap to do that. And you just took away one of the main things. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I'm liking about, um, not the pandemic, but the changes that have happened. And um, I think this could be like our final thing to finish on. Um, and that's dining. Um, yeah. at least in Southern California, you can tell me what your experience has been in Oregon. Um, I, um, what I'm not missing is any of the indoor stuff and I wouldn't want to go indoors to a restaurant, but for those of us who are in SoCal, uh, we've seen a proliferation of restaurants essentially expanding onto sidewalks, expanding onto, um, kind of streets, taking over parking metered parking spots through with the city's permission, setting up terraces, open, open air terraces. And this kind of like outdoor dining uh, day and night, it's sort of like become a thing that everyone just loves. And everyone I is saying that, uh, they hope they hope it returns. It's kind of, it's very European in nature. Um, no one yeah. wants to really sit inside. Um, and so I'm, I'm really enjoying, it seems like you are as well. Yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving the outside spaces that everyone's, I think if they could just take all of the parking on, you know, uh, on Wilshire and Santa Monica, where, wherever they've got it. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. You know, it gives, it gives restaurants extra space. People want to be outside in the sunshine when it's sunshine. I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's so good. No one wants to be inside. I literally will not eat inside. If there's no outside table, I'm not going to go inside. I just, yeah. I just don't sing with the travel. I'm and just not doing it. And it seems, it seems to create a vibe for, for the neighborhood that, um, you know, previously was hidden inside the four walls of a restaurant. Now you're hearing, you know, the chatter of the people and, you know, like the in heat, heat lamps, I guess, in, in the evening and, and things like this. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I hope that um, these measures that um, the cities have put in to allow restaurants to kind of make up for the losses they've experienced during yeah. the pandemic a make up for those differences i hope so but b that i hope they kind of remain like that this this is a permanent change because um it's it's done it's done a good amount of good things at least for la uh, does this exist in oregon do you see this in yeah there? i think we've they've been bringing it out more um like i haven't been to downtown a lot but where i have seen it sort of like in oregon city and and places like that anything which is outside they're trying to build more um, I think the problem with with Oregon is that in the winter it's basically rains and it's cold for six months. So I'm really interested to see how they're able to sustain this. You know, with you know, with those little uh, the wooden boxes, mm -hmm. if you can get covers on it, heat lamps, anything like that, in order to allow them to function. Because like in you know you used to live in London, like in London, when it's winter time, you don't really want to be outside unless you're outside of a pub and you've had six pints. Um, but like here it's, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be outside as much as that. So I'm, I'm hoping they can figure out a way to have outdoor dining, but dry and warm. So yeah, that's yeah. going to be interesting in, you know, in the next month or so as it shifts into October. Yeah. And I definitely don't want to sound like what we have here in Cali is uh, the experience of uh, every part of this country or indeed, um, indeed the world obviously so uh for those areas of the country that are blessed with warm weather in the in the winter months 
this is definitely an appealing thing, but the solution yeah. for uh, for dining in the winter is going to be different in yeah. in the colder states. It's gonna be it's gonna be really it's gonna be really difficult. I think what's what's been I'd say good. The the upside is that we've had the summer months where it's been warm and people have been able to be outside. I think it's gonna be you know, we're gonna have to try and support in other ways. Um, you know, like like we were talking about before, you know, take out um supporting your local restaurants in that way. How else can you you know, help them when you don't wanna be outside? And no one wants to be outside. It's like, what are we able to do um, in, in that way? Yeah. Um, it's been a really interesting experience. I think dining in general has, uh, has, uh, has been forced to innovate more so than before. Um, I, I know that some restaurants are basically giving you kits to prepare restaurant-quality yeah. meals at home. Um, I tried it one time. It was fun to do it one time. I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to love cooking to do that or is that something but it's not even that... cooking it's like it's like the, the art of the microwave because like they, uh... they, they sort of cook everything for you but then they tell you how to heat it to the temperature that it needs to be heated uh yeah uh, and it's um like i said you know it's um it's not quite cooking you're not creating anything you're trying not to ruin yeah. the thing that they created that's that's what this is and trying not to screw something up that someone made like someone made a really nice thing and now you're basically in charge of not ruining it yeah that's that, that, that that's i think the experience i'm talking about i wonder if there's a if there's a sort of like a you know blue apron meets you know 1212 in santa monica or blue apron meets um I don't know somewhere else, but where they give you the the kit like I, in in London, there's a place called Bleecker Street Burger, I think, or Bleecker Burger, and they give you the kit, which is like the, the their homemade patty, their cheese. Um, it's four double burgers, four beers as a kit, and you just take it home, and you make it yourself. So I'm wondering if there's like that sort of like iconic restaurant, um, sort of one or two dishes where you can recreate a home, and they give you everything, and they give you the kit. Um, to do it, I know that Whole Foods have done it with their their boxes. It's like eighteen bucks. You can make your steak with peppercorn sauce or your lemon chicken or something. So restaurants doing that. I wonder if that's um. Can, can, it's definitely not going to make up for rent. That's for sure. But can yeah. can we agree that uh, French fries don't survive the DoorDash trip to the house? French fries don't survive anything unless you're eating them in person right there and then. Like, I I just don't. We've talked about this before. Maybe it's something for a future podcast, but the delivery um, services and the different philosophies of each delivery service and how you can get pad thai and the cost on cost on cost on cost. Um, maybe we can discuss that some other time because that's a thing that I really want to get into. Yeah, I think, I think there is merit to discussing how something becomes twice as expensive and becomes half as good. Yeah, I... Yes, exactly that. A hundred percent this. Yeah. Well, we have quite a few topics saved for the next round. So uh, I look forward to discussing them with you. Um, this was Absolutely. a good a good series of bands. And uh, until next time, Alex, thank you for joining. Thanks, Gosha. Appreciate it.